The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Today's teaching text comes from Psalms 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, hey, it is uh, it's good to be with you. I think I'm... Yeah, that's good. Uh, good to be with you if we haven't met before. My name is Tim. I get the privilege uh, of being the pastor here for, for two more weeks. It's just me. And then we get to ordain Garrison. How fun on August 7th. Really, really excited about that. Um, yeah, really exciting stuff going on in the life of our church over the next few weeks that I want to kind of give you a heads up on before we dive into the sermon uh, this evening. Uh, over the next three Sundays, we just have really exciting family business that we get to do together. So next Sunday, we are going to be commissioning about six or seven new members that are, have joined our church family over the past few weeks. It's really exciting. The following Sunday, August 7th, we get to pray and commission and ordain Garrison to serve as a pastor here, which is really, really exciting as well. And then August 14th, we get to celebrate and commission some new parents uh, that have had kids recently. And so just exciting all around, uh, just really good stuff that we get to, to be a part of together uh, as a church. One other thing that's happening, so uh, a lot of you guys know, a few months ago, we made a really good decision, and that was to hire uh, Dan Alexashek as our director of Groups and Connect. You don't, you clap for him later. Um, and I'm just kidding. Uh, but one of the things that he's been doing and is continuing to do over the next few uh, months or so is just assess group health as a church. So, in case you're not aware, if you're new, we think of Citizens Church as an airplane with two wings. The first wing is what we're doing tonight, what we call Citizens Gathered, our Sunday corporate worship. And then the other wing is our community groups. And uh, if you've been around church world for a while, you might know that when a, a church, any church says something like community group or small group or Bible study, that they can mean a hundred different things by that term. And so uh, we also, as a church, mean something specific when we say community group. We have a specific why, a specific what that we are trying to go after as we seek to live out this vision that we feel like God has given us. And so we want to help you if you are new and you've recently joined a community group, or if you are thinking about joining a community group, but it's a big leap for you to step foot in someone's home. We this fall are doing something new called Community Group Basics. This is going to be taking place on the second Sunday of every month during the fall, right after the gathering for about 45 minutes. We're going to feed you. We'll watch your kids a little bit longer, all of that fun stuff. And this is just kind of the what and why behind community groups. So if you're new, if you're interested in joining a group, or you've recently joined a group, and you're like, 
what are we doing? This is cool, I think, but what does this mean and why are we doing all these things? Then I really am gonna encourage you to check out Community Group Basics. If you've been around for a while and you're like, I just want a refresher, why do we do the things that we do? You can also feel free to come get a free meal at Community Group Basics as well. Uh, we're gonna do this the second Sunday of every month, but we need to know that you're gonna be there so we can provide enough food. So all the registrations for the whole fall are on our website, citizenscharlotte.com. Check that out. We'd love to, to see you, meet you. That's a really easy next step if you wanna find out more information about being a part of our church. All right, Psalm 142 is where we're going to be hanging out. If you got a Bible, we have two weeks left, which is crazy uh, because summer is winding down and so is the series. Uh, this is actually our last week where we're going to specifically look at a particular emotion, and then next week I'm going to kind of bring the series to a close with a conclusion type of week. But Psalm 142, let me pray. Just kind of center our hearts and minds around God's Word, and then we'll, we'll get into it, have a little fun. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the, for the opportunity to worship with your people. God, I know we, we say this every week, we pray this every week, God, but it is such a privilege to get to gather with the saints. And so we don't want to take this moment lightly, we don't want to take this time lightly. This is not the same hour and 15 minutes like the rest of our week, Lord. This is set apart to hear from you and to worship you and to see you such that we would then become better hearers and seers and worshipers the other six days of the week. God, we love you and we need you, Lord, as we think about a tough emotion tonight, Lord, I, I pray that you would be what we see you to be in your word, God, that you would be a good shepherd. You'd be near to our hearts. You'd be a God of encouragement, a God of comfort, and a God of care to us. We love you. We need you. God, would you open our hearts to your word? We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 142, uh, before we get there, let me kind of set us up. Today, I want to talk to us about loneliness. Here's how I would define loneliness for us. Loneliness is a distressing feeling that accompanies the perception that one's relational needs are not being met by the quantity or the quality of one's relationships. It's a bad feeling that goes along with you saying, I have a relational need, and either the amount of relationships that I have or the quality and depth and love in those relationships is not meeting that relational need. I think this one, to be honest, is hugely important for us to talk about as we kind of wind down our series, both because of our church and also because of our culture. So this past spring, uh, Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live did a skit called Man Park. Has anybody seen this skit? Great. If you haven't, YouTube it after this, not during this, after this. It's this funny bit where basically the whole, it's one of those fake commercial type things that they do on Saturday Night Live, and the whole skit is based around this question. Does your man, your boyfriend, your husband, your fiance, does he need someone to talk to besides you? Introducing Man Park. And it's all the play that you would think based on a man park, just like a dog park. It's a field where you can go as a man and make other man friends. And they just run the whole gamut. It's really quite funny. My favorite scene is there's these two women sitting on a bench, and the one asks the other one, hey, where's your man? And she says, oh, he's a little shy. And the camera pans down to the man, like, underneath the bench, like, looking up at her. And then at another point, there's three men standing in a circle, and they're all just barking the word Marvel at each other. They're like, Marvel, Marvel, and they're just like, more, and they're like grunting, like, you know, like all the things you would expect. And it's really, I mean, seriously, go watch it. It's, it's hysterical. And 
there's some problems with the sketch, one of them in particular being I don't think it's just a man problem, right? If we're being honest, I think all of us have some friendship difficulties and issues. But as I was sitting there watching it, it just sort of dawned on me, man, how true is this premise? Like how true that even our society knows we've got a relationship problem and we've got a relationship need. So much so that SNL, which tries to be this kind of comedic take on what's happening in our culture, would say, hey, we need some help living in relationship. We have a relational problem and we have a relational need. And this should not be surprising to us as followers of Jesus. Right? The teachings of Scripture show us that we have a great relationship need. From the very beginning of the Scriptures, we see a God who is not alone but is three in one. Right? Three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, loving each other from before time even began. And out of that loving relationship, they create Adam. But then what does the text say? Right? Adam, in relationship with God, God still declares, it is not good that man should be what? Alone. And so he gives him Eve. He creates a woman, another human, for him to be in relationship with. And this need for both God and one another is woven throughout the fabric of the scriptures. And so the Bible tells us we have a great relationship need, but it also tells us we have a great relationship problem. Because of sin, as early as Genesis 3, all the way up until today, because of sin, it is hard to live in relationship to God and relationship to others. Amen? We're a lonely people. This affects all of us, even on a societal level. We live today in what uh, kind of this postmodern, secular, Western moment in what sociologists and authors have come to call the loneliness epidemic. The loneliness epidemic. And the stats here are just, I mean, they're, they're depressing to read and to think about. The numbers uh, of this past spring, they did a study where they asked on the survey, how often, or rather, do you feel lonely on a regular or consistent basis? Meaning, do you feel lonely multiple times a week? And the numbers are not good, and they get worse the younger you are and the more you use social media. So those uh, in the boomers generation, and I don't mean that negatively, I mean that positively, uh, 50% of those around 60, 65 and older said that they feel lonely on a consistent basis multiple times a week. For millennials, that number goes up to 71%. And then for Gen Z, those who are 24, 25, and younger, that number is 79%. Eight in 10 of those under the age of 25 say they feel lonely on a regular or consistent basis. And this has dramatic, undisputed consequences on our physical health as well, because our mind and our bodies are linked. So some of the, the stats that they found or things that they found, one is that consistent feelings of loneliness actually increase your risk of having high blood pressure, heart disease, and a stroke. Loneliness, in one study, was found to be as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. One other study found that loneliness increases your risk of death by 26%. In other words, loneliness affects all of us, and it is quite literally killing us. And I think in particular for this church and this church family, if you call citizens home, I know that many of us right now would say that we struggle with consistent feelings of loneliness. We know all about COVID, we know all about stay at home, we know all about social distancing, we know all about the past two years, but then there's other factors as well. First, we live in Charlotte. If we can be honest, Charlotte's a tough place to have friendships. 
Charlotte's a tough place to live in community. It's a city built around distance where it's okay. I was talking to, to one guy this week trying to explain uh, the city that I live in, and he was like, yeah, in my town, people drive five minutes max, and I'm like, try 40, because <laughs> we live in Charlotte. We're a city built on career, and we're a city, city built on family, and it's just tough to be friends or build, build friendships in a city like this. And then many of us, we're in new life stages that make it difficult. We recently left college where all of our best friends were five minutes away and were free all of the time to hang out whenever they wanted to. From some of us, we got married recently and navigating friendships as a couple is new and different and challenging. Or for some of us, we started a career or we had kids. There's just all these kind of layers to it. And so if we can just be honest for a minute as we think about loneliness, it's really tough navigating relationships as an adult. And then you add in Charlotte and you add in COVID and you add in sin. What hope is there for us? Lots, lots of hope. My goal tonight in Psalm 142 is just to encourage you as much as possible from the text. I think David gives incredible words to our feelings of loneliness. And so I want to walk through the passage together. And I just want to pull out for us four realities about loneliness that I think will kind of help encourage us. I hope shape you in some way, shape, or form as you kind of think about what it would look like to be emotionally mature when it comes to this area of your life. Psalm 142, you might notice, uh, just like last week, there's a title at the start of the psalm. It says, a maskil, which is a musical term of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. So most scholars agree, kind of the background of what's happening in Psalm 142 is that David is on the run for his life. So he's been anointed as king. He's been established as the one who is supposed to rule Israel, God's people, but he hasn't become a king yet. Another guy named Saul is king. And Saul uh, knows David is supposed to be king. And so he's like, best bet, I should just kill him. Like, I'm just going to take him out, then I can stay king, and he won't be king. And so he's trying to kill David. He's chasing him. He's actually chased him into a literal cave, and David is alone. He's on the run for his life. No one is there to help him, and this is what he says. Psalm 142, verse 1. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Pause right there. This is a beautiful example of everything we talked about at the beginning of this series of going up with our emotions to the Lord. David's alone, he's in a cave, and he's just pouring his heart out to God. I need you, I need you. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. That's what it looks like to go up, this gushing that we talked about in weeks one and two. And then look at what he says, verse four. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Here's the first reality of loneliness. Loneliness is painful. Loneliness is, is painful. David says, my spirit faints within me. He looks to the right and he looks to the left. And what's his conclusion? No one cares for my soul. This is what our hearts feel and our minds think when we're lonely, is it not? Don't we echo the words of David? I look to the right, I look to the left. Does anybody care about me? Does anybody see me? Does anybody know me? Does anybody understand the cracks and crevices of my soul? Does anybody get what I'm going through or want to be there for me? No one cares for my soul. It's this feeling of isolation. 
this feeling of being on an island, of being unknown and unloved. I have no one to call. I have no one to text. I have no one to reach out to. Does anybody care about me? And it's absolutely crushing to David. And if we're being honest, I think we would all agree it's absolutely crushing to us. And I think in loneliness, the first reality that's both helpful, appropriate, and I would say necessary to acknowledge is just the fact that loneliness is painful. It's painful. It hurts when you're in second grade and nobody wants to play with you on the playground. It hurts when you're in high school and you're like, why did everybody get invited to the party but me? It hurts when you're in college, when that friend you thought you were going to be friends with forever betrays you or gossips about you or says that thing you wish they wouldn't have said. It's painful in adulthood when you're like, is everybody else just moving on with their lives? Does anybody remember me? Does anybody care about me? Is this just it for the next 60 or 70 years? Loneliness is painful. It hurts. And we do ourselves a disservice when we aren't willing to own that or to be honest about that. Because the first negative reaction, the first bit of unhealth when we are lonely is to try to think, you know what? I don't need anybody. I'm good. Me and God. I'm all right. We harden instead of softening before the Lord and before others. This is hard. I'm alone. Does anybody care about me? But here's a second reality for us. Number two, the hope for our loneliness is not to be less alone. So first, first reality we have to acknowledge, hey, loneliness is painful. It hurts. It's a good desire to want to be in relationship with other people. It's woven into the very fabric of what it means to be human, created in the image of God. And yet the second thing we have to realize is that the hope for us in our loneliness is not to be less alone. David is here in the cave and he's looking left and right and no one's there and it's driving him to sadness and to despair and to loneliness. But his answer is not, you know what I need? People. You know how I know that's not his answer? Because he actually writes two Psalms from this cave. Psalm 142, but also Psalm 57. Psalm 57 is another one of David's writings on the run for his life from the cave. He's physically alone, same scenario, fearing for his life. And yet in Psalm 142, he's crying out that he's lonely. And in Psalm 57, he's worshiping the Lord. In fact, he says this in Psalm 57, scholars would agree before anybody else shows up, he's still alone and yet he's able to say this, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Same scenario, physically alone and by himself. And in one, he's experiencing being lonely, and in the other, he's at peace. He's rejoicing in God. So here's what we have to understand. Being lonely is not the same thing as being alone, and being alone is not the same thing as being lonely, which means the hope for our loneliness is not to be less alone. Why that matters is because in our loneliness, we can be tempted to think, what do I have to do to fix the situation? What do I have to do to fix the circumstance? I'm feeling lonely because there's no one around me, and so the answer, obviously, is just to get some more people around me. Right? The answer, obviously, is just to feel less alone, to just not be by myself. If I could just find my people, if I could just find my crew, my group, my person, some relationship or group of people who get me and love me and accept me and see me, and then it all clicks. Boom. No longer lonely. 
But here's the deal. The hope for our loneliness is not to simply fix our circumstances so that we are less alone. Because if our hope in our loneliness is to be less alone, what are you going to do when you're alone again? I mean, track with me on this, right? If the hope for our loneliness is more people around us, what do we do when those people leave? Or what do we do when we're surrounded by people and we still feel lonely? If the hope for our loneliness is someone who gets us and loves us unconditionally, what do we do when they feel like, when we feel like they're not loving us how we want tomorrow? If our hope for our loneliness is to be included or to be invited or to be welcomed in, what do we do when heaven forbid they don't invite us? The hope for our loneliness is not to be less alone. I see this a lot with new folks who get married. And they might functionally have a theology that says, yes, I know Jerry Maguire is dumb and they don't actually complete me. That's too old of a reference these days, yeah? It's a movie, go watch it. Uh, They might functionally be able to say, okay, I know that this person is not going to satisfy the deep crevices of my soul. Like I know that's in God and God alone, but they have this kind of functional underworking belief that just kind of believes, hey, when I get married, then I'm just gonna be a little less lonely than I am now, right? What happens is time and time again is they get married and six months later they go, oh crap, why am I still lonely? What happened? What happened is the answer to your loneliness is not to be less alone. There's a deeper hope on offer for us in Psalm 142. There's a deeper hope that David points us to. And that's number three. The hope for our loneliness is the ever-present God. The hope for our loneliness is the ever-present God. Look at what he says in verse four again. He says, look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So look at the language of David, right? Verse four, no one's there, no refuge. So who becomes his refuge in verse five? The Lord. No one physically is here to be a refuge for me. No one's physically here to care for me like I want or need. But who is there? The Lord. God, there's no one physically there, but God is there in the cave with David. And David says, he will attend to my cry. He'll hear me when I voice my plea. He will be my portion. He will be my refuge. There's nobody else physically around me to be my refuge. Good thing for me, God is. And he will be my refuge. God is the treasure that David seeks in his loneliness. A God who promises to always be with him to never leave him or forsake him, to love him and to walk with him. David says, my life is literally in jeopardy. I have no one there as a refuge, but God will be my refuge. And then notice what happens. Number four, God brings the gift of community. So David says, okay, no one's here to be a refuge. So I'm gonna cry out to God, God, you are my refuge. But then look at what God does in verse six. He says, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Yes and amen. All of these are good things, but look at what God does. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So David goes, okay, no one's to my right. No one's to my left. No one cares for me. God, you're going to have to be my refuge. And then look at what he says. He says, God, I know you're going to do this. The righteous will surround me. David looks to God. He says, God, I'm lonely. I need you. And then what does God do? God then surrounds David with people who love him. So notice the order, right? Notice the order. David says, I'm going to seek the Lord. And then the Lord brings the gift of community. 
community who loves God and who loves you, a place where your soul craves, where you can feel welcome and fully known and fully loved, that is a gift from God after you find your refuge and rest in him. But God must be God. Community must be the gift. God must be God. Community must be the gift. Because here's the reality. If you make community your God, you will never truly find the community you long for. Let me say that again. If you make community your God, you will never find the community you long for. Why? Because it will never live up to your God-like standards. Think about it. If community is your God, think of all the things community must then be for you. Always present, always available at your beck and call every time you need it. Always loving you truly and fully. Always forgiving you and being gracious with you and your shortcomings, able to absolve your sin and tell you you're okay and tell you you're righteous. In other words, if community is your God, then you'll always expect it to be like your God. To be perfect. To fulfill everything that God promises in himself. And I think we all know no community is perfect. So we'll never be able to truly find it or to rest in it or to embrace the community we actually have because we'll always think it's lacking and not good enough. Because if the standard is here, if community must be God and live up to God-like standards, no community is going to match that. And so the problem is never I have the wrong standards, it's always I have the wrong community. And so what do we do? We bounce and we bail. We look somewhere else because the community grass is always greener. So just this past week, uh, this is just like a small snippet of it. Uh, I was up for school and in Louisville, and we were eating at the cafeteria, which is like anytime you're in a cafeteria, even if you're as old as I am now, it's like you still feel like you're back in middle school. You know what I mean? And we're sitting there, and we're in the cafeteria, and I'm eating lunch, having a fine conversation. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't like I was laughing my head off, but it was fine. And I looked to my left in another group of classmates that chose to sit a little bit further down the table, and they were just having the best time ever. And I literally had the thought, I was like, can I switch seats? <laughs> can I move? Because this, this table is fine. It's just like, it's not like everything I want right now. And that looks awesome. Do we not do the same thing with our community? My community group's fine, but like that one looks awesome. Like my church is fine, but like that one, awesome. Like my relationship is fine, but like that person, awesome. Community grass is always greener because we set the standard here and nothing can ever live up to that because that is the standard of God. And so God said, seek me and David seeks him and then what comes? The gift of community. And if community cannot be a gift, you'll never be able to receive it as it was meant to be received. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer with this. He was a, a theologian uh, in the 1930s in Germany. He wrote a book called Life Together, which you just need to read. It's just Top five, it's so good. He says this. He says, Christian community is like the Christian sanctification. It is a gift of God which we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us. Anybody else feel like their community sometimes is weak and trifling? Maybe great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. How's it doing? Is it good? They love me? Everybody all right? Notice this last line. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. What's the way to have a beautiful community? Receive it as the gift it is from God. 
with all of its shortcomings and all of its weird uncles and all of its crazy aunts. We receive it as a gift. So what does all this mean? What do we, what do, we do with this? I just want to kind of give you a couple application points, and then I want to end on some, some just some good, real uh, gospel hope. So how do, we, how do we fight loneliness? Okay, in light of this, loneliness is hard, it's painful, but my hope is not to be less alone. My hope is in God. I want to seek him. Then he gives me the gift of community. What do we do? Number one, learn to be alone. Learn to be alone. The difference between loneliness and alone, right? All the introverts are like, amen, this one's easy, crushed it. <laughs> Learning to be alone, thanks, Keila. Learning to be alone with God is essential to receiving community as a gift. Because listen, there's an aloneness that is actually a good thing, right? Remember, loneliness and alone are different things. And so while lonely can absol- being lonely can absolutely be detrimental to the soul, being alone is a good, and I would argue, actually necessary part of flourishing as a human and a disciple to Jesus. Being alone is necessary to learning how to properly be with others. Because here's the deal, if I need you, like, and I don't mean like need you like God has wired it in my soul. I mean need you like I can't function without you. If I need you like that, I cannot love you. Do you see that? If I need you to love me and to care for me and to approve of me in order to breathe and survive, I can't love you because what am I constantly going to do? Give, give more, give me more, give me more, give me more. I need it. Give me more, give me more. But if I'm freed up being alone with God, but never alone because we're always in his presence, I'm actually freed up to love you and to receive any love you give me as a gift from God himself. So the more we need it to function, the less we're able actually to receive it. And so what do we do? We learn to be alone with God so that we can engage community appropriately. This is the pattern of Jesus, right? Luke 5, 16, this is just one of the places it talks about this. It says this, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate, literally lonely places and pray. That's the pattern of Jesus. Withdraw and engage, withdraw and engage, able to be way with others a lot and then pull back and be alone, but never alone because he's with God. This is the pattern we should follow. Learn to be alone. Number two, sacrifice, work hard, and be patient. I know that's three in one, but that's fine. Sacrifice, work hard, and be patient. Friendships are not easy. They only get harder with time and responsibilities and kids and careers. It's just not going to be easy and natural for you like it was for a lot of us in college. It's just not. College is a utopia. The faster we realize that for a lot of us it was a utopia, the easier it becomes to be okay with the difficult work of relationships here and now. They take work. And so be willing to work at them. You're like, I feel lonely. Relationships are difficult. Yeah. Sin, yes. You live in Charlotte, yep. You're an adult, yep. It's going to be difficult. Let me just push you a little bit. This is the only part of the sermon that's pushed. The rest is just encouragement, I hope, for your soul. Uh, Relationships as an adult are just not going to flourish if you're not willing to work. Like, they're just not. And having to work your relationships as an adult doesn't mean the relationships are bad or don't matter or are not good. Listen, I got people that I would consider best friends who were like, you want to hang out? Yep, in a month? Yep. Thursday? Nope. (laughs) Four weeks from now? Probably. That sounds good. 
That doesn't mean our relationship's bad. That doesn't mean he doesn't love me. That doesn't mean they don't care about me. It just means what? We're adults with careers and lives and stuff to do. We've got to mow our lawns. We've got to go get groceries. We've got to pay bills. We've got to drive because it's Charlotte. It's going to take an hour, even though it shouldn't. But here's the deal. If you want to wake up in 30 or 40 or 50 years with flourishing relationships, that takes effort now. It takes working hard now. It takes looking at a group of people and going, you're kind of weird, but I'm in on it. Let's do it. Work hard. Sacrifice. Be willing to change some things. Watch a few less shows, maybe. And be patient. Church, be patient. But not my best friends yet. We've, been, we've known each other for like six months. Okay. Be patient. Studies, sociologists after sociologists would tell you, the older you get, the longer it takes to develop deep relationships. So even when in college, it was like, I met them and they were down the hall and we were like best friends in five minutes. That's great. That's just not how most of life is going to work. So just be patient. Wait. And work hard. Work the soil. I love Bonhoeffer on this. I think he's helpful. Again, same book. He says this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community but the person who loves those around them will create community. I love that. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. And so don't run just because it doesn't meet your godlike standard. Just be patient and work hard and sacrifice. All right, I've said enough. Number three. Number three, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. This is an essential foundational truth of the Christian faith that you just have to go back to over and over and over again because your soul will never learn it at the level you need to learn it. Christian, if you are in Christ, everywhere you go, you go with God. Just a foundational truth to reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that everywhere you go, you go with God. And in Christ, though alone, though you might look to the right and to the left and go, does anybody care about me? And the answer might be a painful and depressing, not really right now. But in Christ, though you are alone, you are never alone. You saw Dane Ortland says it in his book, Gentle and Lonely. I know a lot of us read this a little while ago. He says this. He says, here's the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. We I mean, just sit on that alone. We are given a friend, God of the universe, who will always enjoy and never refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or how revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as is the declaration of his justification of us objectively. In other words, if you are willing to believe that you are made right with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you also need to believe that you are made a friend of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel that we try to repeat over and over and over again that the good news of Christ is that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he doesn't just make you neutral or acceptable or passable in the sight of God. He makes you welcomed. 
that God would not just look at you and go, yeah, you're fine, I guess, because of Jesus. I mean, like, hang around if you want to. No, that God would look at us in Christ because of the work of Jesus on the cross and faith and faith alone in that he would not only call us kind of forgiven, kind of welcomed, kind of okay and acceptable, but friend. Friend. What does Jesus say to his disciples, right? I no longer call you servants. I call you what? Friends. What does Jesus declare over all of us who trust in him? I no longer call you that. I call you what? Friend welcomed, never alone, always with me. That's what happens when you put faith in Christ. When you look at Jesus on the cross and you say, all right, Jesus, you live the perfect life I cannot live. You died the death I deserved. You rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And I trust in you for life forever and forgiveness of sins. God says, mine forever, forever. And I know in a room this size, there's a million different ways and reasons we feel lonely. Like I just, I know that for some of us, it's relationally lonely because of romantic relationships that we long for and we crave and we want. I know for others of us, it's family dynamics and relationships. For some of us, it's friendship or church. There's a million different ways and reasons our loneliness plays out. And I don't know how else to offer you encouragement, but in Christ Jesus, you are never alone. And so it hurts, and it's painful, and there's freedom for it to hurt and to be painful. And continually, the role of our church is to look across the room at people and say, hey, you're lonely. I feel lonely a lot too. You know the good news of Jesus is that in Christ, we're never alone. Let's figure it out together. That's the invitation of the gospel. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray And I think this is just kind of one of those realities that I could talk for 45 more minutes about. And I just think we're going to continue to have trouble getting it from our head to our hearts. And so I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up, and I just want to kind of give us space to let the Spirit do what He says He does, which is get God's Word into our hearts. And so I want to uh, pray, I want to invite the band back up, and then I just want to read some passages of Scripture over us, and I want you uh, to receive them and and to take them, and I'll talk about that in a second. But let me me pray. Uh, Band, y'all can come back up. Let me pray. God, God, we love you, and we are are grateful for the promise of Jesus. Lord, I I hurt (laughs) in a tangible way when I read stats, like 50% and 71% and 78%, and that's painful, Lord, but I and I'm broken even more by the stories. And then you, you know your people, and you know this church, and you know your saints. Lord, and so you know the loneliness we feel. Lord, you know the, the brokenness of our relationships. God, you know the pain of relationships we wish we had or still had or would have. And you know the feelings of being lonely. Lord, I think about Jesus on the cross who became lonely for us, who was betrayed, who was abandoned by his closest friends, denied three times by one of his closest three, handed over to be killed by one of his closest twelve. And yet there's a promise that we cling to, which is that he is our great high priest. 
because he's our great high priest, he's not unable to sympathize with us, but able to sympathize. And so I pray that we would believe not just the justification aspect of the gospel, not just the good news that you've washed us clean and you've made us new and you've forgiven us of our sins and you've declared us holy. God, I pray that we would believe the friendship of the gospel. Lord, that we would go to bed tonight and we'd wake up tomorrow and we'd drive to work or we'd hang out with our kids or we'd get coffee with a friend or we'd do whatever and we would just have a deep abiding sense that in Christ, everywhere I go, I go with God. your spirit for that, Lord. We love you. For all these things in Christ's name, amen. Um, we're going to do communion in a little bit later before we close the gathering, but I, I just want to read some verses over us, and then I'm going to give us space. The band's going to play, uh, so if you feel like you need to sing, we're going to sing about how we're never alone, if that's what you need to do for your heart. If you need to pray, you need some prayer, our prayer team's going to be in the back like they are every week. But I just want to read these verses, and as much as you're able, if you need to sit with your eyes closed, if you need to write them down to read later, if you just want to chew on one of them, just want to try as much as possible by the power of God's Word and by His Spirit to remind you of what is true. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 28, before he leaves his disciples, Jesus sends them out. Be my witnesses, make disciples, and this is his promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is our promise in Christ Jesus for all who trust in him. Romans 8, Paul says, for I am sure, I'm confident, there's no doubt in my mind that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, everywhere we go, we go with God.